Hello and welcome to Through the Mist with me, your host Owen. This is a Word Invest Day podcast where we look at the law and try to understand how it all works. In this episode, we'll be looking at future vision. Welcome back everybody. Hi. This is a new episode, this is a new month. We have now hit April 2022 for those keeping track and not just reading the dates that these were published. Yes, welcome back all my wonderful Mistbusters and everyone who's willing to listen to what I ramble on about. Because, you know, hi, welcome to the gang, welcome to the gang. If you want to be even more part of the gang, and not just the person like me in the back of the room just listening to all the other conversations, but you want to be active in this conversation, you can follow the Instagrams that this podcast has, at through underscore mist, or you can email through.t.mist at gmail.com and answer some of the questions that I post up there, or just any thoughts you have about any of the random things I've talked about in these episodes. I'd love to have your your input. And some of you guys have had your input. We got listeners' thoughts again. Woo! Um, I, I'm still very excited when I get listeners' thoughts because I can, you know, this was what I wanted from the start and it wasn't happening earlier on and now it's, now it's been a bit more consistent the last couple of months. So that is great. Anyway, the question this time out was what defines a pantheon as different? And we've got three responses. One of them is from sunlit.trash on the Instagrams. And they said, They're separated by traditions and customs that bind their respective cultures together. And like, yeah, I like that. That's a nice uh, separation there of ways to separate them. And then it just gets muddy when you start defining customs and traditions. But, you know, <laughs> that's fine. Um, <laughs> we also have uh, some very much friends of the pod uh robert uh of the damn meme page fame uh commented on that question saying i mean considering the sus in toa and how the emperors get godhood it's about being who are remembered i think so like i mean they didn't quite answer the question did did you there buds but this it's a good point it's a very good point is it's more about just godhood in general and what that means and I think it you it links to in this in like the world of universe it's how are they remembered as well. That's a big part of what makes pantheons is how they are remembered. If they're remembered as separate beings, they are separate beings. If they're remembered as a linear path between the two, there's a linear path between the two. I think that's where that it comes in. And then our other good friend Darian uh, has said a collection of deities belonging to a specific culture and that i think that really does sum it up i think it just when you go back in time and start trying to follow these through time it gets very confusing in the moment it's very clear as time goes on you're like okay but when does a culture start one start and one end that's the question that's the confusing bit but there um listeners thoughts uh i i'm very i'm always happy so please once this episode ended give us a bell and i'll put a prompt question up on instagram just if you want, but if you have any other thing you want to talk about, please feel free. You know, that's how this works. In other news, uh, it's Grover Week. Well, the day this episode comes out, it's the last day of Grover Week. 
uh, that whoever runs Reed Royden, the basically the the Royden verse marketing group decided. So I thought I'd do. Uh, 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 I I was trying to think of something like a quick Grover theory, like but I couldn't think of anything. So instead, here's a message I think he can get behind, and it is and it's a message directly at you, you Stephen. If there's a Stephen listening, I really hope there's a Stephen listening. It's a directly message at you, Stephen. Okay, Stephen, this is for you. This is your message, Stephen. Um, and it is to peer pressure the leaders of the world to monetarily pressure big companies to actually do large-scale changes that we might be able to slow climate change into something a little more manageable because right now it's still out of control. Um, so that's that's the message for you, Stephen. If anyone else happens to be listening and is not Stephen, uh, you can also do this. Uh, I think it's a great way to actually make some change on the climate change front because as an individual, there's not much you can do because you're subject to what everyone else does. So peer pressure. Guys, that's how we break this. Peer pressure. Anyway, episode time. time of the episode so this episode is future vision this is the knowledge of the future this is what this episode's about and it i mean it really originally stemmed from i can't remember when or why i was thinking about it but i mean do i really tell you these things no it originally stemmed from the fact that juno seemed to have like an understanding or know the timeline for the prophecy of the seven like long before even the titans started to turn so that's where this this started I was going to specifically just be looking at Juno and the Prophecy of the Seven, maybe talking about a couple of other future visiony things at the same time. But um, scope creep is a real thing, guys, and it happened in this. So it's been a bit wild. I've tried my best to navigate this topic and make it followable, which sometimes the heart is the hardest thing. So please strap in because this one, it's a, it's a lot. It's a bit confusing. Because we're looking into the future, it's always going to be a bit confusing. <laughs> yes, now, right. We I sh- we shall start this off where I think a good place to start it off is, which is prophecies. Because prophecies are the obvious port of call within the universe that has future vision-related things, seeing into the future, knowing what's going to happen in the future. That is what this has. So, we get, there's a, and... There's a number of sources of prophecies we get in the books alone. There's even more if you start leaning into myths. You get just from Greco-Roman, and mainly of these come from Torah, to be honest. But you get Oracle of Delphi, Grover Dendonus, Sibylline books, Oracle of Trophius, Oracle of Achilles. You also get Phineas and Son, and uh, the on- <laughs> a quick mention from uh, Magnus Chase of the Norns. So there's just, there's... A load of different places where prophecies come from. Sources of prophecies. But that doesn't really help us, then, does it? Because it's like, we're trying to work out how future vision works. Are these prophecies, where do these prophecies, how do they know that these things, where did this happen? So, we'll start with a dictionary definition of a prophecy, because why not, you know? And that is, a prophecy is a prediction of what will happen in the future. So, where, how... Do these guys predict it and stuff? In-universe, they act 
more as like an insight into the grand plan of fate, as I'm worth it in my notes, which I think is a very reasonable way to look at this. Um, it's not very, it's not very precise or accurate in some ways, but it's, it's this is the plan for the world, because uh, it is. And the reason I say grand plan is because it is hinted at. They sometimes are a bit loose in definition because the grand plan might fail, but the words that have spoken still need to be true. Um, and I think this is more true for great prophecies where it is less defined about, like, the longer term the prophecy, the more woolly the language, the more to make sure everything in that prophecy being said will come true no matter what part happened in between. So who are, the pe- who are, who are these people, the, the grand plan of fate? So the prophecies are just the spoken words of this plan. Who are the people that are coming up with this plan? Well, in the universe, we've got two dirty figures. We've got the Fates from the Greek Romans, and we've got the Norns from Magnus Chase. I just said Magnus Chase instead of Norse. Yeah. The Fates, we'll start with them. They are known as the controllers of both of destinies of both man and God. Uh, quick side note, because I love my side notes. This side note is also going to come back around shortly. Oof, the best sort of side note. The Fates themselves... They have two birthing stories. One of them is directly from Nyx, and the other one is from Zeus and the goddess Themis. Both of these clashing stories come from the one theonology. Like, they're both stated in there. Just like a clash within one poem, and that's annoying. <laughs> like, how did how did Mr. Theonology guy not realise this? However, I've come up with a new minor theory, and I'm going to stand by it, and I think you'll love it. Uh, which is that when there are clashing stories such as this, instead of the gods being born, it's a new aspect of the god. Because we talked about last time how how the gods change and how they flow and how they ask different aspects of different gods can have different things. Yeah, it's not that they are... It's when they're born different ways that a different aspect of them is born. I think this is, if you watched the Aphrodite video that I sent, would have sent you to, I think. Did I send you to the Aphrodite one? Yes, I definitely did send you to the Aphrodite one. Watch the Aphrodite video, they talk about this there. Yeah, so it's a different aspect of the god's role that is born. So in the case of the fates, when they were born through Nyx, it was just more like how people died and uh, how they lived. It wasn't much to do with their life and their living segment of life. But uh, but when the Zeus-ness bit happened, it starts to divert and come into more about people's karma during life. Get together, get me down. Wow, I'm not crazy. Um, that's the wrong song. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's a cool fun theory, and it's also that's what this is what the fates do. They they decide the destinies of both man and god, both during their lifetime. So. If they do something bad during life, do they get punished for that bad thing? Uh, or how much how much good, bad stuff happens to them? How much karma do they get? Um, and then the Norns themselves, they're very similar to the Fates. And, but the question is, is so they have a very similar role of designing destiny of man. And it seems to, seem to just be this thing that appears in Norse mythology. No one really knows where they're from. But here, here's the question, and I think this is... Is so you have these two groups, it's two different entities that are being able to push and pull destiny. So is destiny so they have dominion over different groups of people? Is it is it like oh the fates get 
the fates get this number, the norns get this number, whoever else is out in the universe gets these numbers. Or are there multiple ideas pulling every single person, every single culture in different directions at once? Which I, I think I prefer more. I think it's a lot more confusing, but I do think I prefer it more. But all of these sources are how mortals understand the future, like prophecies, the fates, and they do have control of gods, but gods themselves, so going back to the original reason this started, was all about Juno, that's why I started looking into this. The mortal bit is the easiest bit, really. It comes from prophecies, and they are spoken, and they speak the word of the gods, or the word of the fates, or the word of destiny. But how do the gods see the future? I think that's what, that's what we'll do next. The gods. So, the gods themselves, at least within the books, all seem to have this some form of divination. But we're now got to work out. Okay, so if they have this, how does that work, and to what extent does that happen? So we're going to start with Themis, the person I mentioned being one of the mothers of the Nyx, and you might know her by a different name of Lady Justice. Uh, yes, that is right. So, um, why am I going to mention her? Well, a couple reasons. One, she apparently built the Oracle of Delphi and presided over a lot of the ancient oracles. Like, she looked after them a bit like someone else we know. But she also created the divine laws and is mother of an aspect of the fates, the fate, the aspect of more karmic side and she said to guide Zeus on the rules of fate she understands how this stuff works and I would just for the divine laws bit alone uh, if she appeared in a book because someone broke a divine law and then she's like I am here to pass judge it would be I think it would be an epic moment but yeah she's like this be all end all of knowledge of how all this stuff works and what's actually supposed to be happening so okay but that doesn't really help us she just understands how it works not really looks into getting the knowledge so what about that well let's go to our favorite misdemeanor apollo <laughs> that's right apollo is himself is now a misdemeanor <laughs> um why are we looking at apollo well duh, he's the god of prophecies didn't see that one coming now, did you guys? So specifically within myth, uh, I saw this quote a few places. So here it is. I can't quite remember what it's from, but it is said that he is of knowing the mind of Zeus and uttering prophecies in accordance with his divine wisdom. I don't like that. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but I think Rick has changed these characters enough that that's no longer true it definitely doesn't seem like in the books that apollo can't appear appear into the mind of zeus for a better word lack of word he's he doesn't understand zeus's divine wisdom which i mean it sounds like zeus is calling all the shots which i mean is historically i guess accurate he's the king of the gods he's the control of fate of man apparently but it does seem more like in the books that that's not how Apollo does things. He's more the keeper of the prophecies. He presides over them. He's supposed to care for them and watch them and make sure that they themselves don't break any divine laws or something or other. 
um, rather than have power to control what they are saying and how they say it. Yeah, so that's that. That's Apollo. Uh, Someone else I want to mention is Hermes. Why do I mention Hermes? Because he's the first god we meet that seems to have a knowledge of what is going to happen long term into the future. He knows what's about to happen. He knows what's going to happen to Luke. Now the question is, the question with this is, is it, does he know it because he saw it, or does he just is he one of the only ones that understands what May's visions are actually about, or can he see the future? Does he know Luke will need to die in order to save the world? Does he know it's linked to the Great Prophecy? There's so many questions with the future vision that is really annoying. When we end this episode, you will also be annoyed with me. Yeah, so it's that, isn't it? It's okay, so that's why I'm looking at him. So, but I did find out something fun. Hermes himself does have some sort of din- divination. Um, he has the Thyrene, who were masters of divination and given to Hermes via Apollo. It's an odd story. I. <sighs> Too many stories, too much future vision. It gets very complicated. There's a great weird story about how someone got future vision. It's, oh, so many odd walls. So, and most gods don't seem to have this long-term future vision and are very limited to short periods of time. Like you get, don't trust the gifts from Poseidon. You get a few little nods and like that from, and like a couple, I think a couple from Hera during Battle of the Labyrinth. But it's not any, like... There's very little long-term planning of the future, except for the Juno and the Prophecy of the Seven. And it's getting more and more weird now, isn't it? Huh? Right then. Where were we? Oh yeah, Rachel. What do you mean though? Why are we talking about Rachel? She's just the Oracle of Delphi, isn't she? She's just the mouthpiece for the Oracle of Delphi. Why don't you talk about Rachel? Because if we haven't found the place where or understand how and why gods can see into the future, Rachel's actually really useful. Because she, all the visions she has in The Last Olympian come before she's the Oracle of Delphi. And she's seeing the future. She sees Percy at the base of the Empire State Building, battling the <laughs> army of the Titans. She sees this stuff. She knows the she knows the Great Prophecy without knowing the Great Prophecy. And so now Rachel does fall into this weird middle ground point of okay, is this because her destiny is to become the Oracle? She can see into the future. But if that's so, that means, is it the Oracle giving her these visions because it's her destiny? Or is it coming from a completely separate place? And it wasn't like in like a lot of, like Phineas, for example, up there, who's, who I listed earlier, was a mortal king. He could see visions, but he got it from a blessing. And a few other people got prophecy as a blessing, as a consolation prize. <laughs> but... Rachel doesn't. Rachel's never blessed by someone to get prophecy. She just has the power of prophecy. And I mean, she also has one of the strongest, the strongest eyes in the entire Voidenverse. She can see anything. It's 
Ah, oh, I'm great. But what does that mean? Okay, so if 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 she can see the visions before she the oracle, then how has she seen the visions? Where did this? Where does this information come from? If it wasn't a gift from a god, and it's not the oracle speaking through her before she's the oracle, which I really don't think it is. What's happening here? Okay. Huh? Right then. We'll jump to Juno now. Gonna jump to Juno because we're getting we're getting closer and closer to to just at least having a semblance of an answer. So we'll do we'll talk about why I started this. So Juno's the reason this exists. Juno and specifically the prophecy of the seven. And even more specifically, Leo and Frank. Frank's a bit more lifty Lucy, she just appears because of the fire because she wants him someday but she wants him someday that's why she appears and she wouldn't appear for anyone unless it was important to her and she's caring for leo long before even the titans are planning their attack even gaia does it before the titans are planning their attack she's planning the prophecy of the seven before the greeks great prophecy the prophecy of Percy, I don't know. I don't know what that would be known as in the future. But before that, before the prophecy of the Second Titan War, before that has even started to even have a semblance of reality. Because at that point, here's something that I started to question as well. Because these are theoretically events happening before the world knows of Percy's existence. But, on a side note, do the gods know for existence from the start? Because, like, Zeus is... Zeus... And Hades are both, like, blaming him before he gets to Camp Half-Blood. Hades sends Mrs. Dodds in long before he gets to Camp Half-Blood. So, like, do the gods know he exists? These are questions that I would want answered for another time. You have Juno, like, and looking into her mythological past, as a deity, Hera and Juno do not have any links to, prof- to prophetic visions, prophecies. She doesn't have any future vision powers ever in the myths so how does she and other gods like her i.e the gods that have no mythological relation to prophecy how do they all see into the future what is happening (laughs) what is happening come down a bit fine great before i do actually get into what all this means because we're so close now i just want uh, a couple of honorable mentions from the Kane and magnus series because this has been very percy related <laughs> so there's there's a couple of other visions and future stuff that happens in magnus's books like uh hearthstone reads a prophecy from runes but that's magic i can explain that one quite nicely there's the whole ragnarok thing that they all know but that's that's very much like a a very well-told prophecy, which is rather just common in the world. You don't need to really explain anything. Yeah, the, and then the canes. There's one, one entire the entirety of the canes. There's one thing that I can think of that's a bit future energy, visiony, and that's Ra seeming to know Zaya was his host before they even met. That whole when he's a bit spaced out thing, before he is reborn. That whole when he's just saying zebra a lot. Um, and zebra will be Zaya. So, yeah. I mean, there. 
the Magnus one's a bit more easy to tell. The Val one's a bit a bit more curious. But it does link into what I've been saying about all the other gods. So, what does this all mean? Well, I don't. I really don't have a satisfying answer for this, and that annoys me. It is annoying, and you can probably tell. I don't know how well my annoyance is coming across because I'm trying to keep it out of my words. But I'm annoyed at this entire thing because I can't come up with a good answer. The best I can think of, and the only thing that seems reasonable to me, is that this has all come from another plane of existence. There is another plane of existence out there. We've got the mortal plane. We've got the magic and the dawn. And then we've got future and destiny. Soups everywhere. All at once. And it is like, I don't know, the source of destiny. This other plane of existence is other place. This other thing. And the gods are a high enough, deep, like, deeply rooted in magic and everything that they have the power to see through this and into this existence these lines and different gods have different levels of access into this like they can some can really pierce really far through and someone can only like just go like like looking through a frosted window glass window whereas like the fates and the norns they can like properly just like swim in it and like and like mess around and like switch the tracks. I'm now picturing this as a massive rail network <laughs> with different points and sending train. Each train is a different person. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I can't picture this. This is a thing that's the unpicturable. And like, and sometimes really crazily, a god that usually just has this frosted glass vision through into this world will just can like get a moment of clarity in it like they have a tiny clear spot and they can see this exact moment but it's all madness I I have nothing better and it's really annoying for me so if you have a better solution do be my get get in touch let us know but I think part of the reason that this is just so peculiar is because it's something within like myths and storytelling a lot of the time we take for granted that prophecies are a thing. We never question it. We're like, oh, okay, prophecies. We never question the idea of destiny when it comes to stories. And and because prophecies themselves are quite a large part of the myth, Rick kind of, and they would have to be in the book somewhere, he just chose them to bring them a bit more set forward because it's a very basic Basic is a very standard storytelling device is having a prophecy. It's not, we, we just don't question the existence of prophecies. We don't question where they came from or how people see into the future. We just go, okay, people see into the future. Cool. But like, even if you just look at the myths themselves, like look at, you look at Delphi and the Oracle of Delphi. Well, apparently the place that it became the Oracle of Delphi started off as a wor place, worship place of Gaia. Sometimes in myths, it said that Zeus called the hole in the ground the navel of Gaia. Um, and then Apollo apparently killed Python there. The snake fell into that hole. And the, the fumes from the, from the carcass of Python would allow them to get, see visions of the future. Yet these visions were given to them by Apollo. But they have to inhale the smokes of Python to do it. 
you see the questionings? <laughs> it doesn't quite make sense. It and it's not helped by the fact that the Roidiverse itself is a soft magic system. So you've got a soft magic system within a soft magic system. We've got a squidgy magic system, guys. We have got a squidgy magic system. Yeah. I feel like that really that was that was very ranty. But I needed that. That was very cathartic. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Future vision. It's mental me. Thank you for indulging this theory. If you have any comments on this theory or theories of your own that you want me to discuss, you can always email them through through.t.me at gmail.com or you can get in touch on the Instagrams at through underscore myth. Make sure to follow the podcast, like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, do whatever you have to do, whatever platform you're listening on to help boost this podcast. Because I've been Owen, and come back next time as we try to see Ooh, that was very hoarse. <laughs> <laughs>